everyone, um, and welcome to the latest episode of Turing's Triple Helix, the podcast channel of Scotland's AI strategy. The topic of today's episode is Scotland's vision to be a digital nation. I'm Steph Wright from the Scottish AI Alliance, and today I have with me three guests representing the three key Scottish government initiatives working together to realise this vision. So today we have Mark Logan, who is the author of the Scottish Technology Ecosystem Review, published in August 2020. And we have Jeff Huggins, Digital Director for the Scottish Government, representing the National Digital Strategy uh, named A Changing Nation, How Scotland Will Thrive in a Digital World, launched in March 2021. And last but not least, we have Albert King, Chief Data Officer for Scotland, representing Scotland's National AI Strategy, Trustworthy, Ethical and Inclusive, also launched in March 2021. So hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Steph. Hello. Hi. Fantastic. So uh, we have a series of questions here, so uh, we'll just kick off. Um, so you each oversee work to deliver a key strategy. Can you give us an elevator pitch on why Scotland needs the one for which you're responsible? So we'll kick off in chronological order. So we'll go with Mark with the Scottish Technology Ecosystem Review. Yeah, thank you, Steph. So, so the Scottish Technology Ecosystem Review is essentially saying that we have a pretty good tech ecosystem in Scotland, but it could be a lot stronger. And it seeks to highlight the, the interventions we can make that can accelerate that ecosystem to what we call a tipping point where there's a sufficient critical mass of startups and scale-ups that certain virtuous network effects start to operate, you know, attracting talent, attracting investment, strengthening our companies, creating more companies, which attracts more talent and investment. So the purpose of that document is to, it almost underpins every other initiative in the stack, if you like. So, you know, the, the, the reports that the Jeff and Albert have authored can be considered sort of layer two in that stack. And layer one is the foundational components that the ecosystem review attempts to establish to help support uh, no particular sector, but in fact, all tech sectors. So that's the, the kind of reason for its existence. That's brilliant. Thanks very much, Mark. And over to you, Jeff, around the digital strategy. So, so I, th I think the, you know, the, the, the key elements of the digital strategy, they focus on the, the role of digital as part of the delivery of public services. Um, so a, a key a key set of actions there, um, the, the the relationship of digital also to economic development and the you know the capability to support the econ the economy and economic growth and there's a, there's a big reach into the into into in, 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 in Mark's review with that and, and then probably the third main area which I'd emphasise is the work on digital inclusion and, and we'll probably say more about that as the podcast goes on but the, this understanding that you know in in the context of the last um, eighteen months to two years, that the centrality of digital has become to, to people's lives, and, and the need, therefore, to bring people onto onto digital platforms and, and things like connecting Scotland uh, and work around digital inclusion are, are central to that. So, probably the key three key three key themes that I would bring out in in respect of the strategy. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Jeff. And on to Albert. Yeah. Well. I guess building on what Mark and, and Jeff has said, the you know digital strategy and the tech ecosystem review, uh, I guess really address the digital data and innovation ecosystem that we need for AI and data-driven technologies to to thrive in Scotland. And the the AI strategy is really focusing on the the issues that are unique to AI. Um, and so as we develop strategy, it became really clear that people and organisations in Scotland, you know, they do have concerns about how AI might affect them, but it's also really clear that they're optimistic about the benefits that it can bring. 
uh, excuse me, and, and, and AI is, is after all here and it's becoming increasingly pervasive. So it's not like um, it's something we can choose to ignore. So Scotland's AI strategy uh, really addresses the issues about how we want to adopt these technologies in Scotland and the ways in which we'll do that to maximise those benefits for society, the economy and the environment in the context of the digital strategy and the tech ecosystem review. Thank you very much, all. Uh, moving on, all three strategies were developed and published during the COVID-19 pandemic. How was their development impacted by this and the final product shaped to address the challenges of COVID? Over to Mark. So, um, only slightly is the answer to that question, Steph, in the sense that the, the strategic issues that I was addressing in that uh, ecosystem review existed before COVID and will exist after COVID, or whatever is after COVID, unless we take certain foundational actions. There was, of course, um, you know, certain influences there, uh, a significant one being what will the working configuration turn out to be after COVID, you know, hybrid in the office, not in the office. But that's a relatively minor concern as regards to the issues we were trying to address in the ecosystem review. For example, the supply of talent into our ecosystem in schools and uh, universities, um, the education and peer learning environment that founders have available to them in our startups, the availability of investment, et cetera. These are all you know, issues before, during and after COVID. I think the biggest impact COVID had was on my ability to actually write the report. You know, it gave me a little bit more contiguous time, uh, a few less meetings, a, few, a bit less travelling, um, which allowed me to, to write the report fairly quickly over the, the summer. I think it was kind of mid-May to the end of June. The report was basically written and then went through you know, review and socialisation. So the biggest influence, I think, was just getting space to do it. But um, strategically speaking, COVID didn't have a major impact on it. Thanks, Mark. And over to Jeff. I mean, during the COVID pandemic, obviously, access to digital became a very, very prominent issue for a lot of people. So uh, it'd be great to hear your thoughts on this question. Yeah, so that, that's probably where I'd start in, in that there, there's probably some elements of the strategy which are different as a consequence of the experience of COVID, but it's probably more the significance of digital changed. So it, it, it became you know, a, a pivotal component of everybody's day-to-day -day life. You know, we all spent our time like we are doing right now in front of a screen, talking to people who were themselves sitting in front of a screen. But equally, you know, we moved moved to a situation where um, our shopping was being delivered online. Um, you know, we're, we were organising other forms of support services on online to to help vulnerable uh, you know, uh, uh, people to 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 continue to you know to 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 live their lives. So it, our our world was transformed, and it still is transformed. Um, how, how many elements of the strategy are different as a consequence of that? So it's it's ramped up the significance of inclusion, digital inclusion as a, as an element. I, I think it's increased the um, appetite for for a change in the pace of change, um, and also in terms of as organisations develop digital products, a greater expectation that there's a strategic narrative, a strategic approach. So we understand that you know, citizens and individuals won't just be engaging with one service or system, but multiple systems. And, and they expect that to increasingly operate in a coherent way. Again, because of the, you know, there are options to do these things face-to-face -face have changed. So probably some nuance elements in terms of content, but significantly changed in terms of its position as part of wider government policy. 
So it, it became more important. Thanks very much, Jeff. And over to you, Albert, around the AI strategy. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the pandemic kind of uh, definitely affected the approach we had to take to developing the strategy. And a, a lot of that was because, um, well, the timing, um, and we very much committed to putting people at the heart of, of the AI strategy. And that meant um, a strong emphasis on meaningful engagement across um, Scottish industry, academia, the third sector, and importantly, with the public uh, as a key part of the approach we, we took to developing the strategy. So we had to pause. Um, but ultimately, we were then able, I think, to actually engage with a much wider cross-section of communities in Scotland and get a much stronger uh, level of public engagement. We saw really high levels of response, actually, for example, to the, the public consultation we did and to the to the open events we ran. So I think um, I think that led us to getting a much stronger uh, level of engagement with the public. And certainly the feedback we've had has been fantastic. The, the way I would illustrate that is just that um, I was speaking to uh, Nordic countries the other day. They've been really keen to learn from the approach um, that we took to developing the AI strategy. And they see it as an exemplar of uh, uh, in this space. So that was, you know, I think that's been really exciting. In in terms of the the content of the strategy, I think um, there, there's possibly some impact, but I think we were always landing the strategy into a space where there's significant movement of technology and public attitudes. So that the uncertainty that that COVID brings um, really just just adds to that. And so the strategy was deliberately set up. Um, such that we set out the outcomes and created a strategic framework within which we're able to adapt the actions we actually take, guided by you know things like the vision we have, the principles, and indeed the leadership that we've established. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely the development of the strategy, but I think we we ultimately turned it to our advantage. I'm pleased to say. Thanks very much, Albert. Um, moving on to the next question, perhaps. Uh, this will be targeted at Jeff and Albert primarily, but the AI and digital strategies were both published after the Scottish Technology Ecosystem Review. How were they shaped by the review's recommendations? I, I, I guess just to, to, to start, and maybe slightly controversially, I'd probably say maybe not enough. Um, so the, the Ecosystem Review is a really interesting document in that it understands that if you want a particular change to happen in the real world, it's not a matter of simply saying that you won't change or taking particular actions. You you need to do a number of things. You need to change the context. So there's there's elements of that in the digital strategy in, in terms of the focus on capability, you know, the focus on the you know the tools and skills around transformation, um, in terms of thinking about how we orient public services. But that understanding that if you want to do a important but difficult thing well, you need to understand all of the dynamics of, of what's going on within the system and align those different ingredients in such a way to incentivize and motivate change. I, I think that's more of that learning could have been brought into the strategy part of our, our current thinking. So I, I think we could have taken more from the ecosystem review, which is, as I've said, is, is, is a great document and un, unlike the sort of documents the governments normally produce. And over to Albert. Well, I, mean, I guess I sort of said in my opening remarks, you know, that um, we certainly, uh, because of the timing when the tech ecosystem review was produced and the report was produced, you know, we certainly paid a lot of attention to it and thought really carefully about it because, you know, it provides that really clear articulation of the innovation ecosystem, just as Jeff as Jeff was saying, and, and the actions we need to take to further strengthen it here in Scotland. Um, 
Of course, um, I hope everybody will agree that, you know, within that, AI and data-driven technologies are definitely going to play a really important role, um, not least actually because of the sheer range of applications. You know, these are a kind of horizontal set of technologies that, that have a, a, a real breadth of applications. Now, there may be slightly controversially again, perhaps there may be specific sectors where there's a case for strategic support, where we sort of tried to pick some winners. And there was an example of that in the, the program for government commitment uh, to create an AI life sciences hub. And that's maybe an example of that. But fundamentally, I think actually um, we're about creating the conditions in which innovation can thrive, in which AI can thrive and, and looking at which, I guess, which sectors um, which applications Scotland maybe can um, see a particular competitive advantage in uh, and spotting those and fostering the development of technologies, importantly, which citizen can, citizens sorry, can trust and are, are really confident in using as well. Thanks, Albert. And sorry, to just to flip it back on Mark, I guess, uh, do you have any reflections on what Jeff and Albert just said? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with both, both Albert and Jeff's comments. Uh, you know, the, the ecosystem review was deliberately written to avoid um, being in any way sectorial or technology specific, not because you know, that isn't important, but because it was operating at a different level of the stack. You know, it was the, as was expressed by uh, both earlier speakers, it creates a kind of foundational system view of our ecosystem and, and suggests foundational interventions that can strengthen it. But that is not enough on its own. I mean, it's helpful in general terms, but it's vital that we then look at the sectors and technologies we want to be strong in as a country and develop uh, kind of level two recommendations as, as indeed Jeff and Albert have, have led that work on. So really the you know the three reports are much stronger together than they are apart. And I think the the trick in implementation is to really amplify that. You know, the the, the sum of the parts needs to be uh, it needs to be much more than the individual parts. I try to achieve that effect inside the ecosystem review by looking at, for example, when it comes to attracting talent, we can um, attract you know talent through concierge service for high high um, skilled talent, but we can also attract them through having a, a tech scaler network and integrated grant funding and these kind of elements. Now, if you then move outside that report, then we are also really strong, for example, in AI as a country, and we've understood, you know, every aspect of how that affects society and how to how to create winning businesses in that area, that's an even greater attractor. So I think the trick as we go forward is to iterate, notwithstanding the reports were written in a certain order, is to iterate across them and ensure that we leverage the, the you know the good work in all three of them. Thanks very much. Um, the next two questions kind of takes us off into a slightly different direction, but it's been touched upon by all three of you. Uh, so the next question is, uh, Scotland's well-placed to harness the potential of digital and data innovation, including AI, to benefit our citizens, economy, public services and society. How important is it to engage the public as we do so? Who wants to go first? <laughs> I'm going to throw this at Albert. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I was talking earlier about the the kind of approach we took to developing the strategy, um, uh, and you know, public engagement in in lots of senses was a was a really really important part of that. Um, and so we're carrying forward that sort of open approach into the way that we are delivering the strategy, and that's partly through, for example, the way we've set up um, the AI Alliance that doesn't just bring. 
um, fantastic leaders in this space together, but also brings together people from across the society through the, the community circle, as well as the kind of change agents through the delivery piece um, and, and through our through our own um, uh, support uh, team and, and delivery team. And so that is absolutely central to our approach. I think it's particularly important in the context of, of public services. And actually, we've got a really great project underway to look at how we um, provide greater agency and transparency to citizens over algorithmic decision making in ways that are kind of mean, really meaningful um, uh, and the ways that uh, yeah that they can understand and have greater agency over that, particularly in in, in the context of the public sector. Um, but I don't think it's just an issue for the public sector. I was um, I was at uh, the Data Labs Excellent Data Summit um, last week, um, and there was a there was a panel discussion there with uh, innovators, great AI companies that are doing fantastic stuff uh, here in Scotland today. And they were asked, um, and I didn't plan this question. They were asked what conditions they need to see success in Scotland, and the the first answer came back: trust and public trust. So, uh, you know, I think it's. Trust and ethics are, are competitive advantage as well in the commercial sector, um, just as much as they are an essential condition in the public sector. And so that public engagement around these technologies is really crucial. And over to Jeff. I, I'm maybe going to take a slightly different tack because I, I think a lot of the time members of the public are telling us quite a lot about our digital services. Um, you know, they're telling us it's difficult to find things online. Um, the processes that we require them to use are difficult to use. They're clunky. They have to create um, different identities across the system. So, 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 I, so I think the point I'd make is at the moment, it doesn't feel as though we're particularly responsive to the feedback that we're getting from the public. And quite often the engagement we have with the public is to try and persuade them that what we're doing is quite good. Whereas, in fact, we should probably be listening more to their experience of how they are experiencing the technology that's there. So, I, I think in the in the in in the in the next phase, as the um, as digital services become more the norm and more common, we need to be building those systems whereby we're actually learning from the people using our technology, whether it's through, you know, what we can see in 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 terms of the, their user journeys through the technology, but also the point at which it's failed and they've written to their MSP or my minister or me to basically say that they're not they're not happy with it. So I, I think um, we need to be more in that responsive space. And so I'd, I'd probably I'd probably emphasize that uh, in, in my answer as, as, as a challenge for us, because um, while it can feel as though we're um, up against it, we're struggling, we're working with less money than we would want, with less resources than we would want. Um, the experience that the customer has, the citizen has, the client has, is their experience and we need to validate that and dignify that. So we, we need to become a more responsive organization to what we're hearing. That's great. And Mark, um, what are your thoughts on the, on the, on the public engagement side of things? Well, I, I think a, a necessary precursor to public engagement and, you know, bringing society along with any one particular sector is to ensure that, that all parts of the the digital literacy literacy spectrum are being advanced at the same time. So, for example, one end of that spectrum, you have individual digital literacy, and in the middle of it, you've got the digital literacy of our companies, our SMEs, etc. And at the right hand side, the far side, you've got native digital businesses, businesses that make native digital products, software, etc. And I think you know, there's a risk, for example, that that right-hand side runs ahead and is doing some really exciting AI, 
but we've got a largely, for example, digitally illiterate SME base or, or low digital literacy and individuals. And I think if you get into those imbalances, then it's impossible to bring people along um, because they're ignorant to the technology and its potential. They're afraid of it, therefore. And you know, we've seen what, what fear can do and all the things that follow from that. So I think when we think about bringing um you know the, the society along with whatever we're doing we have to be we have to have strategies and this is what we are trying to do and the, the three people on this uh, podcast with you today Steph are you know a big part of trying to do that along with many others but we've got to advance all three sections of that spectrum or the others will pull back any one of them that answer actually you know, leads nicely into our next question, which was uh, around the fact that the pandemic has accelerated the race, uh, the pace, sorry, of digital transformation, as Jeff mentioned earlier, and reminded us of the social and economic consequences of being digitally excluded. How is the latter being addressed by your relevant strategies? Um, I'll go to Jeff on this one. So, so digital exclusion is a key theme of the digital strategy. Um, with 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 much of the the commitment that's set out in the strategy being based around the work of the Connecting Scotland program, so by, by the end of this year we'll be close to sixty thousand additional people brought online through Connecting Scotland from a program that didn't exist two years ago. So a, a significant undertaking in terms of access to technology, access to um, connectivity, and access to training. So 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 we have that layer. <laughs> Coming, coming into the process and, and alongside that we then have the commitment following the strategy and programme for government to extend that across the lifetime of this parliament to 300,000 households brought, 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 brought online and given that capability. So that almost feels like one layer of the system. You know, Beneath that layer we have the work that the connectivity team are doing to extend broadband, to extend 4G and to move into 5G. Um, and, and again, over the period of this parliament, we'll see that further expansion. So, you know, those who are excluded because of geography, as opposed to for economic reasons, also will be brought into that space. But that, that sort of feels like half the job. You know, the, the other half of the job that is is the the degree to which the systems and processes that we offer actually work for people. So, so the 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 fact that we can give somebody a a tablet or a, a mobile device or a, a Chromebook. Um, and we can give them connection. If the intention behind that is to engage them in local services such as food services or isolation or local transport, the other side of the equation has to be there as well. So this this idea of what it means to be a digital citizen in, in Scotland in 2022, 23, 24 is, is going to be a key idea for us for the next period of time that goes beyond simply you know, giving the citizen a device to actually aligning that with the services which are then available so that they can maximize their use of the device. So, so the use case becomes important. So it, it, digital exclusion is one element of this, the degree to which services are there to actually meet those needs, because historically those who've been digitally excluded tend to be the people who are most likely to be in need of services. You know? um, and, and so, but the, so, 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 so I think there's, there's a lot in the strategy, but there's, there's further work to do. Thank you. And I'm going to go over to Albert because obviously AI is, you know, many steps further than just digital access. So, you know, uh, over to you for your answer to this question. Yeah, I mean, so I suppose building on what Jeff has been saying, you know, the 
the exclusion is partly about the physical stuff, you know, the technology as Jeff was saying, the devices and connectivity and so forth. But, um, uh, you know, Mark's, kind of, Mark's earlier comments kind of anticipated um, our thinking here as well, that it's about more than just that, it's about having the skills and confidence to actually use those technologies, right? To then, you know, improve our lives or to um, improve productivity in, in our organizations or, um, so, and that was one of the messages actually that came through really clearly in the development of the strategy around the understanding of, of AI in particular and what it can and can't do. And actually some of the, the myths about that, you know, and the, it, it, some of the language that's used around AI is, is there's some quite a lot of hyperbole in this space. So, I mean, we, we have been uh, doing quite a bit of work to develop things like, you know, materials for schools and just kind of raise awareness and, and help people understand, as I said earlier, what, what this technology can and can't do, um, as well as engaging in a really active um, communications program uh, and developing that that broader communications piece. And I, I do think we have a role here to help people understand, yeah, as I say, how they can benefit from these technologies and the agency that they do actually have um, uh, over, over how these technologies are used uh, and feel confident in, in using them in, in their lives and their organizations. Um, I think that's partly about um, the learning communication piece, as I say, it's partly about the engagement. And, uh, you know, we are doing some work to um, uh, to look at what engagement mechanisms, uh, what kind of materials will be beneficial as we work with civil societies, we work with educators uh, and others, but also how we reach, you know, people who who aren't in schools and, you know, reach every, every part of our society. Um, uh, and there's some great examples um, uh, from Scandinavia in that space that we're keen to learn from. So I'm, I'm confident there's lot, lots we can do. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Albert. And Mark, obviously, in the Scottish Tech Ecosystem Review, um, you know, how, how much mention of digital exclusion, digital literacy, you know, is there? And and what what uh, what's the strategy? Well, sorry, the review uh, going to do about it as such? How are they going to tackle those issues? So the the ecosystem review, going back to that spectrum from our last uh, question discussion, the ecosystem review is, is very heavily at the digitally native businesses end of that spectrum. So the reports that Jeff and Albert have, have created are far broader uh, than, than the ecosystem review. So this ecosystem review has to reckon with uh, a special type of exclusion, which is exclusion from meaningful participation in the, cr the creation of and scaling of startups and all the benefits and rewards and experiences that go with that. And it, it does address a bit of that, but frankly, it doesn't address nearly enough of it. Because um, if you think about what types of exclusion are operating in that space, well, we, we know that um, when it comes to, to money flowing to Founders, uh, one one percent uh, from various surveys ends up in the hands of female founders. So there's a huge exclusion operating there. If you look inside VCs, hardly any of the VCs are representing uh, women in the, their partner boards. Um, so you know, not surprisingly, you see these kind of behaviour, these kind of um, results from that. Um, another type of exclusion is that in Scotland today, 17% of our uh, schools don't teach computing science at all. And nobody knows how many other schools teach computing science using 
business studies teachers or other non-specialists, and nobody knows to what extent um, uh, you know that that is pervading the curriculum or is only a token subject alongside home economics and physical education, which many schools that that is the case. It's fine for time with those. So we're excluding access in a skills basis across many many of our schools, and it's a kind of you know, not a random distribution, you'll tend to find that the schools in better off areas tend to have better provision for computing science. So we've got a, a you know, a poverty-based exclusion operating uh, as well. And, you know, if you take those different exclusions, your so gender-based exclusion, um, wealth-based exclusion, to name but two, race-based exclusion, you know, the, the amount of uh, funding that flows to um, ethnic minorities is is even worse than the amount of funding that flows uh, to women. So what that adds up to is we're, we are cutting off huge numbers of people that the ecosystem needs to thrive. And at the same time, we're denying individual opportunity to those people in a society that claims to be a fair and balanced society. So the ecosystem review touches and makes recommendations in some of these areas about how to rebalance funding um, as a lot to, to say, and we're doing a lot in follow-up on how to make education start to work in schools again. Um, but frankly, you know, none of us are doing enough in this space. And I would like actually to see Scotland produce uh, a specific report with concrete recommendations in this area. Um, you know, the, like, for example, the attitudes in companies towards the massive gender imbalance is that, you know, it's kind of normal. It's kind of how it should be. And if we do something to improve it, then we should be slapped in the back for taking some efforts. But it's all optional and aspirational. So, you know, I think we've got to change the terminology we use about the issue. We've got to uh, denormalise the ghettoization of gender, for example, in tech. So there's a lot of things we have to do. And uh, my report certainly doesn't cover the full magnitude of that. I think there's a great opportunity for Scotland to lead in this area. And I'd love to see him follow up as actually take that uh, topic of exclusion uh, almost in, a, in its own right to, to create a sort of joined up cohesive um, strategy across Scotland for that, because it needs a system response, not, not a you know, sort of point by point response. That's brilliant. Thanks, Mark. And once again, it, it then nicely leads on to the next question. Um, and all of you have touched on on this already, but uh, all three strategies set out actions to nurture innovation in digital and economic um, in digital and economic opportunity. How important is it to create conditions that will foster innovation, and how can this contribute towards building a stronger economy and public services? Um, Albert, you mentioned earlier about you know for needing to you know establish trust, uh, you know, fostering an environment of trust and obviously, deal, you know, tackling all the issues around exclusion. Um, it'd be great to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, over to Jeff. So, so I think it's, 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 a, it's a key component of the, the strategy is the focus on the, the, the next iteration of the work under CivTech. So, so CivTech's Civ, Civ now been going for five, six years as a programme of work solving public sector problems, engaging with SMEs um, and, 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 and techn technology companies, initially in Scotland, but increasingly outside Scotland as well. But on the basis that the, the technology that's developed creates the capability for those organisations to, to sell products you know, to, to other jurisdictions and to develop products for, for further uses. And you know, we're, we're, not, we're now at a point in the process whereby 
you know, ministers have taken the decision to scale up CivTech significantly over the next three to four years, but also to broaden the base of the support that's offered. Uh, so it's now a thriving model for how um, you know, nation states like Scotland can take forward work in terms of technology development to create e ecosystems. It's it's a very particular ecosystem which is being being created there and, and still uh, still still in the development developmental phase. But it, it's certainly it's certainly one of the areas which we need to to turbocharge over the next period of time. You know, while I'm while I'm talking about it, I should say that the next demo day from CivTech for CivTech Six. Um, will be on the 8th of February. Um, it will be held in the assembly rooms in um, Edinburgh. It, it is a genuinely hot ticket. Um, we don't know how many people will be in the room at this stage, um, but it will also be streamed. Uh, and I'd, I'd encourage people to to Google CivTech demo, demo Day and to register an interest now if you want to have any chance of being there on the day. Um, in addition, we'll be running further virtual events on the 9th and 10th. And you'll see the, the 12 different companies solving problems around you know, climate change, around travel, around transport, uh, and, and see, see what they've come up with during the period in, in which they've been running, running their development cycle. Thank you, Jeff, uh, and great plug for CivTech. Uh, we'll make sure we'll put all those uh, all those links in, uh, in on our website to accompany this blog. Uh, sorry, this podcast. Um, over to Albert. Yeah, well, um, yeah, great plug from CivTech. And actually, it's another great example of uh, how, you know, in the AI strategy as well, you know, we're working with um, people in industry to to help address some of the, the challenges that we see in this case uh, around how we give citizens in Scotland greater agency and trust and transparency over algorithmic decision making in, in the public sector. So that's yet another of the fantastic examples you get to see when you go along to, to demo day. Um, and I think for me, um, that's partly because there's a, well, certainly I recognise that, you know, whether you're public or private sector, we operate in the same economy, in the same market for skills and talent. Um, so, and, and moreover, both public and private sectors actually, I think, have really important roles in making our society economically and socially stronger. And CivTech is um, one example of how we're doing that and how we can do that. Equally, you know, we find innovators in our public services as well. Um, and so, um, some of what we're doing in, in the digital data and AI space is about creating the conditions which actually enable those uh, innovators in our public services, for example, through our data science accelerator program, where we've had many great examples of um, uh, people bringing new approaches to, you know, for example, looking at how we how we um, uh, keep track of, of, of crops and agriculture in Scotland and understand the impact of, of climate change. Um, also doing things like launching Research Data Scotland, uh, which which happened um, I think uh, in September, October, to to improve the the economic, social, environmental well-being of people in Scotland by making it easier to to link data about people, places, and businesses to do research for public good. You know, which is uh, another great example of uh, how we're bringing innovation and new thinking to to solve some of those challenges that we face. Um, you know, as well as that, the public sector, I think, is playing its role by making more data open because, you know, data is the raw material that fuels AI and, and innovation. Um, and that's because it supports transparency as well. But as I say, because it can also support that innovation uh, in data-driven companies. So we're, and we're looking at how we can make uh, more data open and, and where we need to focus um, that effort to create greatest value. Um, and that was actually something that came through in the, in the digital strategy, funnily enough. And we're always very keen to hear and to get engagement on that. Um, so I think we're absolutely about um, playing our part to create the conditions 
um, and taking care that that activity um, that we have in, in the context of AI and data is complementary to what's happening across, um, across the other initiatives that we're discussing today. Thanks, Albert. And and over to you, Mark. I mean, essentially, all the recommendations from uh, this, the, the review was about fostering conditions and creating conditions where innovation can thrive. Uh, so, you know, uh, over to you. Yeah, it's, it's worth just, um, you know, reminding ourselves why that really matters. Uh, you know, in simple terms, every job that everybody does in this country is a result of someone's innovation earlier in the chain. Um, from you know, starting a university in 1410 or 1450 to the, the, the more recent jobs and high-tech startups and, and so on and so forth. And if you look at the data, you know, in the UK as a whole, uh, there's about 34,000 kind of young high-growth high startups that together account for 84% of all new job creation. And that's quite a stunning statistic and together they account for one trillion pounds of value uh, in the economy. So you know it just it just reminds us that that we've got to have a thriving, reinventing, evolving base of innovation if we're going to have opportunities for our people. And um, you know, I think Scotland has made the mistake in the past of clinging to like you know to industries that had long since left our shores and uh, not getting into a, a constant rebirth mentality of the next wave of what's important. You know, when I look at the Silicon Valley, and I've spent quite a lot of time there over the years, before the current wave of technology has anywhere near reached a peak, they're tearing it down and starting the next wave. And you've got to remember that Silicon Valley started as a semiconductor you know, a centre, hence the name, and went through so many waves of technology on microprocessors, the PC, the internet, the mobile AI, blockchain, it just continues. And Scotland's got to be like that, because otherwise you end up with businesses shutting and nowhere for anyone to go. And so innovation is incredibly important. And we can't just, you know, buy it in like we did in the 1980s with the so-called Silicon Glen you know, we brought in other people's innovation in the form of big companies like IBM, Motorola, Sun, etc. Because as soon as there's an economic uh, downturn, they all leave again, and you know we, we're left high and dry. So it's incredibly important that we create the conditions for world-class startups to grow to scale, to be born and grow to scale in this country. Um, it's just incredibly important because their children are going to be working in those companies, and if we don't put those conditions in place, they'll be working in other countries. When I look at Scotland, you know, I'm always slightly sceptical of how, you know, economists measure these things. But if you look at the kind of entrepreneurial rate in Scotland, you know, including just tech, but generally it lags well behind you know, Ireland, Portugal. It's, it's almost a third of Canada's rate. So we've got a lot of work to do there. Um, so that's why I think everything we're talking about today and the, the three reports together uh, are incredibly important. Thank you very much. We, we've covered quite a myriad of topics here. So uh, just pulling it all together on a last question. So um, with so much going on, what's being done to ensure that collectively the three programs add up to more than the sum of their parts? You know, how do they fit into a bigger picture and what, what we look forward to next? Uh, I'm going to go to Jeff on this one because the digital strategy can perhaps be seen as a kind of umbrella strategy to the other two. Uh, but yeah, over to Jeff. 
I think it's always a challenge to ensure that we are leveraging the value across a number of different activities. You know, it's easy to stay in your lane and to you know deliver on the particular commitments that sit, sit on sit on your docket. So at, at the moment, I'd probably say we're probably not doing enough. You know, I'm I'm, I'm fortunate I sit on 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 the group that's supporting Mark's work, so I've got good visibility of the work that's going there. And, and as I've said before. We're learning from the thinking in that space about maybe resetting our expectations about how how change how change happens. But at this stage, I think it's probably more that we could be doing to draw the connections between the the the, the pieces of work as well as other you know developments such as the the research data Scotland work and and, and, and other elements of the change process. So at this stage, I'd probably say we're not doing enough. Um, I think we're all making progress. Um, but it, it, it's that it's that challenge of finding the additional time to build those linkages and to you know to build the relationships that support them. Thank you, and and over to Mark for I guess a non-government perspective uh, before heading over to Albert. Yeah, I think um, you know I, I, I mean Jeff uh, is absolutely right in what he says. Of course, um, we could be doing more there. I think I'd frame that as opportunity rather, rather than problem. And what I mean by that is um, because you can sort of think of the, the the different areas that we're respectively looking at as different layers in a stack, to some extent, if we only executed those in, in isolation, which we're not going to do, but if we only did, they'd still benefit from each other's existence. Um, uh, you know, the, the foundations of, of the ecosystem review would support Jeff and Albert's work and Jeff and Albert's work would act as a magnet for talent into the ecosystem because of the specialisations and, and society that, that that would create. As you see in Estonia, for example, which is a great example of a digital society from startups through to individual digital literacy, you know, that's where we're we're going to go if we, if we follow through. I think then the opportunities are <clears throat> how do we, uh, you know, cross work and and. A, a, um, explicitly amplify some of those those connections. So I, th I think there's, there's work to be done there. And I think it's also important to remember that in each of the respective areas, because of the nature of creating reports and the limited nature of it, none of them are the last word in these areas. And I think we're all very conscious of that. You know, no one's going to read a 400-page report, so you release them in you know, 90-page chunks. Um, so, for example, if I take you know my own area and, and you're trying to widen that um, layer one stack, things I'd love to see, I'd love to see is, um, you know, we're currently implementing those recommendations and that's going to take time, but I'd love to see us even generalising the, the scalar network from being tech scalers into general startup scalers. I'd love to see us take those into the community. So it's kind of like a pre-scaler network so we can create on-ramps for people coming out of colleges into the startup world. Um, I'd love us to uh, take on a gender exclusion in tech, you know, really take it on, um, for example. So I think there's a, there's a lot we can do with the platforms we're building. Um, and therefore, if, if government, and I'll say this as a non-government person, if government keeps its focus on this area, and that's hard in democracies because, you know, everything's measured in four and five year windows, but these changes will be over 10 years. But if government can keep its focus so that we can get these platforms in place and then build on them, I think we, we're going to do amazing things together over time. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. And last but not least, over to Albert. 
Well, to quote Mark Logan, who recently said, we're stronger together than we are apart. Um, I completely agree. Uh, these, these initiatives really complement each other nicely. And, you know, continuing to keep that in view, that we're working to a common set of goals to benefit Scotland, I think is, is really important. Um, I guess that requires us to maintain those, maintain those connections, not just at a strategic level, which I think is, is important, but also at an operational level. And sometimes as well to focus on uh, you know, particular opportunities. And there's a good example of that uh, around skills, digital and data literacy and the work we're doing just now actually to look at what's happening across, because um, the, there's lots of work going on in that space and to look at what's happening across digital and data skills and whether there are gaps we actually need to address or actions we need to take um, to, to strengthen that or, or to make um, some of those connections stronger. Um, in terms of what's next, well, we'll, we'll be launching uh, our AI playbook uh, in the new year, which will showcase a lot of that um, innovation that's in Scotland. It'll engage people to see how they can uh, use AI and it'll inform people with advice and guidance on adoption. Um, and I will give a plug for our event, which is on the 30th of March 2022, when uh, an, an even hotter ticket than a CivTech demo day, uh, you can come and enjoy an AI summit. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that in the new year. That's brilliant. Yeah, that kind of preempted my my final call for who wants to plug something. You have a few seconds to you know do a shout out for something. So Albert's obviously shouted out for the Scottish AI Summit on the 30th of March, 2022. Jeff has shouted out for the CivTech Demo Day on the 8th of February. Mark, is there anything you want to draw our attention to? I'm afraid I don't. I have come to this podcast without an event to plug. So, <laughs> um, so sorry about that. <laughs> uh, no, that's no problem. Uh, well, that leads me to say thank you so much for your time. I think, you know, I hope our, our listeners would, would have a better understanding of all three initiatives uh, after listening to this. And obviously, you know, we can post all the relative, um, relevant links to all the contacts and all the initiatives that we talked about today so people can find out more. But uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, have a good evening, everybody. Thank you very much.